Lily, I've been hearing so much about product-led growth lately, and I have some ideas on how we can improve the podcast. Okay, Randy, hit me. Well, first off, it's an easy one. Let's go with a classic, and I think we should offer a free trial. Uh, you do know how podcasts work, right? Oh, yeah, right. Um, okay, here's another one. How about referrals? Let's get everyone who listens to tell a friend about the show. Um, okay, I do like that one. So, oi, you listening to us right now, before we get into today's chat, go and tell a friend about the Product Experience Podcast. Okay, I've done it. Got any more ideas? Um. No, actually, but I do know who to ask. Today's guest is Noah Gannat. Uh, she's a strategic product consultant and the founder of Infinify, Israel's first product leadership academy. And Noah's working on a course in strategic product-led growth that's due to launch early next year, and she's got a lot of great advice in this area. And we have a link to sign up to her newsletter in the show notes. But no more chit-chat. Let's get to it. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free Product Tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Noah, thank you so much for joining us this week on the podcast. It's great to see you. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So we got a chance to meet each other a few months back when Marty Kagan and the Silicon Valley Product Group came to London and did something for a bunch of European coaches. But not everyone's met you already. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you first get into product? And what are you up to these days? Cool. So maybe I'll start with the latter. Um, I'm a strategic consultant and an, an executive coach for, for product leaders. I've been doing that for about five years. And prior to that, I've had over 20 years of experience in uh, development. I'm originally a developer and, and I was a system engineer and a development manager. And then I moved into, into product. You know, the origins of my product career, I think, started as a kid. I remember my mother discussing with me why certain things work the way they are. For example, why in an ATM do they ask you to take your card out before they give you the cash and sort of all of all sorts of discussions of things should operate in a way that makes sense. So I think that's where sort of the roots started. Um, as a product leader, I've, I've been doing a variety of roles. Um, I led one of the two products that a cybersecurity company called Imperva had since we were about a hundred people for three years up to an IPO uh, of almost half a billion dollars back in 2011. And then I moved to eBay where I built and managed the product management practice and the product management team in the R&D center that they had in Israel. Then I was a VP product of a startup. And having seen all of that made me realize that product leaders specifically and senior product managers have such a gap that is so hard to fill with, with regular 
books and content that I decided to focus on that as my consulting and coaching business. And one of the things you're working on a a lot right now, and the thing that we want to talk to you about, especially this week, is product-led growth. A bit of a hot topic these days. So before we get into your take on it, can you just give some background of what does it actually mean to be a product-led company? Great. So actually, I think the question sort of calls for um, clarifying because product-led growth is such a hot buzzword these days. In the, in the uh, courses that I teach on product-led growth, I actually show that the search trends on product-led growth in recent years, they were growing like crazy. Everybody wants to do product-led growth. And um, another thing that that is really hot, especially in our circles, is everybody wants to be a product-led company with a pow- empowered product teams and all of that. So I think these are terms that are sometimes mixed, but they mean very, very different things. So a product-led company is a company that grows through its product, that sells product as opposed to services or projects, um, and, and puts the product at the core and focus of its entire business strategy. And it, it means also... how certain things are done behind the scenes and processes and and really empowered product teams and the the fact that product teams, including all uh, all people on on the team, are actually the ones that are driving the company forward. But product-led growth, for product-led growth, you need to be on a product-led company. It's it's, It's almost impossible to do it otherwise, but it is something quite different, which means that the product itself is actually the selling tool of itself. And it also means a bunch of other things that uh, are worth noting because they are much more significant than whether or not you allow a freemium or a free trial of your product. Um, So for example, one of these things means that you are selling bottom up. So you are selling through your end users and they would be the champions that would go and ask for budget and actually make the sell or make or make the sell happen within their companies, and that's a very very different ball game than just letting them try it out. And what are some of your favorite examples of really successful product led growth companies or strategies, even? Yeah, you know, so so product led companies. I think Slack is probably the most famous, successful company uh, running product-led growth. But there are so many I can, I can talk about the tools that I use use myself. So, you know, there is HubSpot and MailChimp and Monday and a bunch of others. You know, I have a, a Monday being an Israeli company. I have a, a special warm place in my heart for. <laughs> um, and they, they are also, they were really product-led growth purists, at least at, at, least at the beginning. They, they really, they didn't want any sales teams and, and that's why they decided to go with product-led growth. So, so they were really into it from, from day one. It's an interesting example. Is that, is that a feature of a product-led company, not having a sales team? Is that, uh, or, or can you do it both ways? So I think maybe it used to be. Nowadays, it's... Uh, it's actually the other way around. It's 
already well established that at some point you do need salespeople, even if you do product-led growth, even if you put your product up there uh, as the front uh, layer for, for your sales. Um, because usually that's when, um, when you want to actually go to the, to the larger deals, it means also going with companies that expect to talk to someone. And also it doesn't make sense to just uh, enter your credit card for, I don't know, a hundred K deal. It doesn't happen this way. So it is a known fact by now that even if you are on product led growth and it works for you, the really, really large deals uh, you would need uh, a salesperson for. And also your, the customers that would be signing on those large deals want a salesperson, but, but it's usually a different type of selling. It's, it's more of consultative selling. It still uh, often relies on a bottom-up approach. So, for example, a company would start using the product. You know, for Slack, for example, one of the things that got them really successful is when they realized that their target shouldn't be companies but rather teams, because to convince a whole company to use my product is really, really difficult. But the team that I work with on a daily basis is something that um, could quite easily be convinced. And when they realized, and you, you can see their lingo uh, up until today, everything is about your team and your team members and add your team members. And when they realized that, they actually saw really a spike in the usage and adoption of the product. So now if we go into, into thinking about sales, at some point, maybe a team would pay for itself or certain teams would do that. And then at this point, a salesperson can come in and say, hey, you know, you already have several teams using it and they're happy. We know that they're happy because we see their adoption. We see their usage. They're using it on a daily basis. So why don't we talk about having an enterprise account? Or it could be the other way around. It could be that several teams are using it. And then at some point, somebody sees that we're paying to Slack separately in in quite a few uh, departments and teams. And then someone in the company would say, hey, Slack, let's talk an enterprise agreement. Um, and, and that's how it works. But it's very different because the product is already in use in the company. It's not like hello, let me tell you about Slack. Maybe you should try it out. And that's a kind of classic example, I guess, with Slack. Does that tactic work for most companies in terms of like target the team, you know, get in at the the kind of at the ground, as it were, um, make it like an easy sign up process and then sort of target the organization later? Um, Or is there more to it than that? I'm guessing there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, there's probably, so, so first of all, you know, when you're asking that, is that working for most companies? First of all, not, I don't think that most companies have adopted PLG at least yet. And for some industries, it makes more sense. And, and for some, um, I guess maybe at some point, but maybe it's not quite there yet. I think the, the one thing to remember if you're considering if PLG is for you or not is that it's not so much up to you. It really depends on your customers and how they expect to buy software. So in, in some in some markets, for example, if you're um, uh, creating tools for developers, there's almost no other way. Developers are like, 
allergic to talking to sales and they're technical enough, obviously, to try things by themselves and they wouldn't have it any other way. So if you're selling to developers, it's almost given these days that you just have to go PLG. But in other areas, for example, if you're selling to, I don't know, the largest enterprises out there, or if you're selling to more classic enterprises, maybe government or um, defense. So over there, maybe product-led growth is not the right thing for you. If you're selling hardware, if your product involves hardware, that's not as easy to try it out before before you buy. So it's not always the right solution. Um, and, and some people go into PLG for the wrong reasons. They do it because everybody does that because it's a, it's a hot buzzword. I've heard people telling me that, you know, my product was failing, so I thought maybe product-led growth could save it. Um, it, it might, but it, it would be the answer only if the problem was that people wanted to, to try it before they bought it, and that would actually create a better solution. So before you decide to go into product-led growth, you need to consider why, why you're doing that. And now back to your original question, Lily, about maybe the, the, the tactics and how to do that. So, you know, it's always easy to see what successful companies are doing and sort of try to mimic that. But that's like just the tip of the iceberg that you can see above water. And if you just mimic these actions without the strategy that is the iceberg itself that you usually cannot see from the outside, you're most likely to not land on the results that you actually want to. Because, uh, and specifically with, with product-led growth, it really is critical that the strategy is clear and everyone is aligned. The, re the reason is that if you have classic salespeople, so if you think about the journey, people are involved all along the way. So there is, um, you know, the customer had seen some marketing material and then maybe they get on a call just to book a demo. And then there is a salesperson that actually shows them the demo, understands what they need. They can talk it through. And while, while alignment is also important there, it's important that the marketing talks about the value that the product can actually deliver and that the salespeople understand the value and make sure that the customer qualifies for that value that the product can actually deliver later because we're into having happy customers and not just customers who are, who are willing to pay no matter what. And so alignment is important there as well. But if you take the people out of the equation, which is what often happens with product-led growth, then there is no one to mitigate any gaps. So if the, the alignment is not 100% tight, things would not convert. If the marketing materials are talking about a value that is slightly off from what the product can actually deliver, people won't continue the journey. And that's where strategy really really is crucial. Think about it. You know, I'm, I'm sure you all had this, this experience before, right? Um, having seen some ad thinking, wow, this is so cool. I can, I can definitely use it. I think this is solving a big pain that I currently have. And then you log into the product and you realize that it's just very different from what you thought. It's not really doing what the ad said that it would be doing and you don't understand it. 
you'll immediately abandon it. So yay, we had a lead, you know, the, the, the mark, the ad converted, but it's, there's no customer at the end. So what did we do here other than spend money? And Noah, so there's a, that I, from my understanding, there's a virality sort of social aspect to product led growth strategies as well, where um, you have to bring in some kind of uh, incentive or, or, or something that makes people want to share or it's part of the functionality that it you're sharing the product outside of your core business or, or or network so that it has that that kind of viral effect um when when you're using the product is that something that you can uncover you, you know you mentioned earlier about you ha- it has to be driven by customer need so presumably there's some businesses can do this and some businesses can't and and if you're interested in this kind of a strategy like how do you how do you uncover that potential in your business right so so i think one of the things to remember is that with with product led growth you know there, there is so much advice out there on what you should be doing and you can find you know quizzes that you'll you'll fill them and they'll tell you if you need to do freemium or free trial and boom you've got the answer but um i'm, I'm not a big fan of of this type of training and advice, I would say, because I think these things are complex and you really need to think it through on a case-by-case basis. Now, there there are some guidelines. So, for example, the reason that I was talking about free trial and freemium is that the virality aspect, some of it is built in with the nature of your product. So, with Slack, obviously, if I use it alone, I didn't get any value. So, so the need to share it with my team members comes with the, with the essence of the product. In other cases, the, the, the company that is delivering the product would need to work maybe harder to get people to actually share and, and invite others. And this is one of the um, considerations on whether you should go freemium or free trial. So generally speaking, Freemium uh, is working well when you have this virality of like work outside of your team, outside of your company. For example, Calendly is, is a good example. So we use, for example, we might be using Calendly for free, but as we invite others and they use the product as well, we they, they are like scheduling appointments with us. They might see this and there is an, an inherent virality here that is happening and the tool is actually advertising itself to other people. So this is a plus one for, for freemium saying that more, the fact that more people would be using the, uh, my product would actually help bring more users from other companies or, or other organizations in other types of tools. This requires a little bit more, um, more effort, and then maybe freemium is not the most productive way uh, in these cases because then you'll end up having tons of users who are actually using the product for free um, and only a bunch of them would actually be converting. And the fact that they're using the product for free doesn't necessarily give you anything. In other cases, by the way, virality is just one point. In other cases, it could be 
um, for example, data. If your product improves as more people use it, then definitely you want to get more people to use it. And maybe freemium would, would give you a boost there. Or it could be content. If your product is working on user-generated content, then if, if they do it for, uh, on a free version, then, uh, then you'll have more, more content. So um, virality, again, some of it is, is inherent and some of it you need to think about, but it's, it's one consideration on these areas of how you, how you actually craft your product-led growth strategy. So let's talk about some of the mistakes people made as they put this strategy in place, because I'm guessing it's not an OKR. Next quarter, let's become product-led. Let's just put something in place uh, and and see results. It's uh, I'm guessing this the effects of this type these types of initiatives generally take time, don't they? Yes, absolutely. In fact, getting to success with product-led growth takes usually longer than if you decide to go on a classic sales-led enterprise sales, for example, for all of the reasons that we, that we said. So, for, so the fact that people are actually involved in the process means that you will be able to convert on, a, on, a, on an immature product, for example, because you set expectations and, and they're fine and, and you'll probably be able to convert larger deals this way, but also because you know, one of the mistakes that I often see companies do, and this is unrelated to product-led growth, but with product-led growth, it's definitely an, an important one to, to note, is that people, even if your customer journey is perfect, you have polished it and optimized it, and it is the best journey that it can be, some things just take time. So if you need to try the product, use it for two months to understand if you actually want to, to start paying for it and then start um, inviting others to make a decision as a team and not as a, as a sole user and then go and secure the budget and then, uh, or even maybe before that, to actually get the value out of the product, you need to work with it for a while. You need to maybe integrate it to your other systems and all of that. These things take time. So, some, so you need to understand, even in your optimized customer journey, how long it would really take. And usually with product-led growth, when you begin, it's far from being optimized. And unlike with a sales-led um, approach, it's very difficult to overcome those gaps. So the, the journey needs to be nearly optimized in order to start yielding results. And that's why results, business results with product-led growth take longer than, uh, than if you go without it. So how do I know that I'm on the right trail? How do I know that uh, I'm starting to go into the right place? Because if it's not going to pay off for three months, six months, a year, and I'm doing all this work, it, I, I've got hypotheses that doing this is going to lead to more sales. It's going to lead to more growth. It's going to lead to uh, a more efficient uh, conversion metric for me. But I'm not seeing that for quite a while. How do I know I'm on the right path? Right. So first of all, you need to understand why you are doing it to begin with. Because if you're just doing it because it's a hype, then that's probably a bad idea. If you're doing it because you understand that your customers would only buy it this way. Or usually, by the way, it would be, we have worked with a certain segment and now we are we want to expand our product to another segment. But in that other segment, now it makes sense to go with product-led growth 
unlike in my original segment. So if, if you know why you are doing it, usually you, you do it because you won't be able to do it any other way. And if you do that, that's much more encouraging to really go all in, which is uh, one, one of the mistakes that I see is that people are like really hesitant about it. So they change a little bit of the product, they expect quick results, and then mm, it doesn't work and, and they go back. So if, if you do that, you're probably better just not wasting that amount of resources on, on changing the product. If you think you can go without product-led growth, and, and you're not willing to do what it takes to succeed, then maybe you're better off just not starting altogether. But your questions about how do I know if I'm, if I'm at least on track, then generally speaking, product-led growth or any product market fit journey, by the way, goes really hand in hand with cracking the customer journey step-by-step. So a general customer journey would be acquisition, activation, retention, revenue, and referral. With product-led growth, since we're talking about getting value before money, that means that we really want to make sure that we nail down retention before we start talking about revenue. And then there is a very um, there is there is a typical way to to go about this. So you you would go and you will find where is your journey end-to-end journey currently stuck. Where is your current bottleneck? One way to that, that I really like um, to use to identify that bottleneck is to just give yourself, rate yourself as in red, yellow, green for each of these phases. It's a very simple exercise that you can do in, in minutes. You can do it like the entire company management can do it together. It helps also with, with alignment. And then you realize where you should be focusing your efforts because if something is red, then your entire pipeline is blocked. That, and that's where, where you need to be. So your progress would be solving one bottleneck after the other. Uh, and, and also looking at the customer journey end to end, you will see that you are now, your bottlenecks are, are in more advanced places. Although sometimes you would need to go, to go back. For example, you usually start with acquisition because you need to have users to be able to work with. So you start with acquisition, but you only work it initially until it's no longer a bottleneck, until you have enough to work on activation. And then you work with the users that you have on activation. Maybe you were able to convert some of them and also start working on retention. Retention is really hard. So it's going to take longer to actually optimize retention or even be able to succeed with retention whatsoever. And so at some point there, you might be stuck. You might no longer have users to work with and convert because your funnel has um, has emptied because you haven't uh, perfected acquisition yet. So at this point, maybe you want to go back to acquisition and create a more robust and a more sustainable way to actually get users in an ongoing uh, manner so that you will always have users in your funnel to actually work with while you're still optimizing the journey uh, later on. So, so you need to look at your journey end-to-end, understand where you're currently stuck, focus there, and you will see the progress because the problems that you would be solving would be more advanced and more towards actually converting people to customers as you go. So that's sort of the feeling of progress that you would have. Noah, this has been fantastic, but we're running out of time. We think we've got time for two more questions. Before we finish off on, on the last one, what's the biggest mistake you see people making again and again as they start their journey towards product being product-led? So other than 
not getting to it from, from the right reasons. I think one of the things that product-led growth is really calling to and one of the pitfalls is giving too much for free. And since we're so focused on giving value and making sure that they get value before, before money and we want to get really happy users, I see companies sometimes actually struggling to start charging for all of this great stuff and sort of change their mindset into actually making money out of it or selling because we have positioned ourselves up until now as the best partners of our potential customers. Would it work? Like, am, am I even allowed morally to start talking to them about, okay, pay, now, now you need to pay? So some of it is psychological and some of it is just because you, you got used to working differently and, and that's a, uh, even, I would say, a chasm that, that companies really need to cross. Because if you give too much for free, honestly, there's no reason for them to pay. And, and we're not doing this for charity. So you need to be very mindful of we're doing this for the success of the business in everything that you do. And Noah, it sounds like when we talk about uh, designing the, that sort of perfect customer journey uh, for acquisition, activation all the way through that sounds very much like a design and product team play but who should be involved in this because it's a very strategic move for a business isn't it yeah that's that's actually a great point and a great question and and you know one of the reasons that you will see a lot of advice there on like how to do the perfect onboarding that's that's great but that's really just part of the mix so you should have on, on top of um, product engineering design, you should have a marketing person and a customer success person because su- success has a very significant role in actually making this a success, as the name suggests. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that if you're on a smaller team, for example, if you're a startup, maybe you don't even yet have a customer success function. But make sure that whoever is working on your product-led growth strategy and implementation, that someone owns the customer success hat, that someone owns the marketing hat or the design hat. Um, It could be the same person, like the product person could take a lot of this load. In fact, in many startups I see nowadays that customer success actually reports to product. It's great for, for the beginning to actually learn about how customers perceive the product and, and where they're struggling. Um, so whether it's a dedicated person or not, make sure that this point of view is, is well represented so that really all the points could be connected because otherwise, as we said a number of times, it would be very difficult to, to get to any results. And we're not doing this just for fun. We're here for results. <laughs> No, it's been so great talking to you. As Randy said, we are running out of time. Um, I know that you're working on some content for people to learn more about product-led growth. Do you want to talk about that really quickly before we wrap up? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm working now on uh, having a di- uh, offering a digital course called Strategic PLG, Strategic Product-Led Growth, that is coming exactly to fill in this gap of we're, we're doing everything that we're told to do, but still no results, or we don't know where to begin, or we started and now we're stuck, and cover all of this strategic approach, the things that you need to know, all of this iceberg that is um, underneath sea level, 
that uh, you really need to to have in place so that the actions that you do eventually all convert into the results that you're that you're expecting. It's going to be a digital course that for self-paced and probably available around January 2023. Lovely. And we will put a link in the show notes to Noah's blog so you can sign up there for her blog to hear all the latest. Um, but thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about product like growth. Thank you, Lily and Randy. It's been a pleasure. The product experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith. And me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U, thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank.